0: Well hello and welcome back to Coming Home Network Presents. I'm Matt Swain, Director of Outreach for the Coming Home Network, and this is an opportunity to talk about some of the issues that people deal with on their way into the Catholic Church and some of the ways that they worked through them. Uh, today we get to talk to some Seventh-day Adventists who became Catholic, and that may be a surprise to some of you, probably who did not know that that's a thing, but it is a thing. I've got at least three people for whom that was a thing that we're going to talk to here in just a moment. Uh, but if you want to see previous episodes or uh, if you want to connect with any of the resources we have at the Coming Home Network, go to chnetwork.org. Uh, we also have an online community where people can interact with one another and uh, share uh, experiences and prayer and fellowship. That's community.chnetwork.org. And of course, if you want to support our work so that we can continue to be a support for people who are on the journey and asking these questions, then you can go to chnetwork.org slash donate. All right. So I'm Matt Swaim. I mentioned me. Now it's time to introduce a couple of people, actually three people. This is the most people we've ever had on one of these episodes, and I'm very excited. Arthur and Teresa Beam with us. Uh, also Norman Binyazid, and all of them have Seventh-day Adventist backgrounds. Arthur, Teresa, Norman, welcome to the show. Thank you.
1: Thank you for inviting us.
0: Thank you. Yeah. So, um, we're not going to be able to cover the full narrative arc of your stories, but I encourage people to go check out uh, the Journey Home episodes featuring Arthur and Teresa. I think Teresa even did one by herself at one point. Um, Norman recorded one. It has not aired yet, but uh, definitely be looking out for that. And Arthur and Teresa have even done a written version of their story together. If you want to get a piece of, of the narrative flow of how all this fit, but... Uh, I want to start um, with a question that I ask a lot of people when I get them on from various denominations, and that is, what what qualifies you to talk about Seventh-day Adventism? So, um, if you could, uh, we'll go ladies first. That's what we like to do most of the time. Teresa, what is your experience of Seventh-day Adventism that uh, really kind of qualifies you to speak on this topic?
1: Well, let's see. Um, besides being a multi-generational, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, I think my, uh, great-grandmother started the, the Sabbath school movement, uh, for the Adventist Church in Oklahoma. Um, and I was a writer. I worked for, uh, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist school system. I taught in their Sabbath schools. I, uh, wrote for, um, the magazines, my family members were part of the GC. There's, it, it, I was deeply integrated into the church. I went all, both my husband and I went to, um, Adventist schools from elementary through college. And we, we, um, graduated from the Southwestern Adventist College in Keene, Texas, which is, um, a Mecca for Adventists. It's, I think it's almost a fully Adventist, um, little town. I mean, there's some non Adventists, but it's, it's thought of as an Adventist town.
0: All right, Arthur, you were sharing some of your Adventist street cred with me before this. And I know that if you share it all, that'll be the whole rest of the episode. Right. right. (laughs) But if you could share a little bit about, you know, your experience and your family experience really in Adventism.
2: So the short version is I'm multi-generational also. Uh, at least I know my grandfather, my dad was started out a, a Seventh day Adventist teacher, then went to Seventh day Adventist principal for years, uh, got known for, for going in and fixing problem schools, then became the educational superintendent over at Texas, Louisiana, and Oklahoma, and then was a pastor on top of that, uh, from even before I was born, you know, Sabbath school, Church, school, all the way through grade school, middle school, high school, uh, and all the way out through my BSN in uh, nursing. All right. So, yeah. Solid. And you
0: said there was a radio station involved in there somewhere?
2: Yeah, the Keene radio station uh, was set up by my aunt and uncle, Raymond Bean. Raymond and Anna Bean. Mm-hmm. Very so, cool. So, yeah, we were just all through that whole region uh, for Adventism. Yeah, very well known there.
0: Yeah. Um it's very well known where I am in the DC area. Uh it's very well known in places like, you know, Battle Creek, Michigan and the home of Corn Flakes, which is an Adventist invention if people don't know it. Uh but uh Norman, how about you? Because yours is not as like, you know, five thousand generations back. Not that you can go five thousand generations back with Adventism, <laughs> but it doesn't go far as back as the beams, does it?
3: Yeah, so um uh, I'm Adventist well, from from my mother's side, uh I guess her our- her family were uh, they're Seventh Day Adventists. Uh, I grew up, became a minister in the Adventist church. Uh, went to La Sierra uh, Andrews University for uh, uh, my master's there, and uh, worked for the Southeastern California Conference.
0: That's a lot of Adventist name dropping, and I bet you <laughs> that there's some Adventists watching who probably have like deep connections to some of the places uh, you all mentioned. But um, I have a a sheet. I would it has five million questions for Adventists on there. I'm gonna pare it down a little bit but one of them is that Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists can all go you know to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert and they're all Christians to one another yeah. Adventists I mean Norman were you aware that you were not like other Protestants I mean like did you have a sense that Adventism was like different than other kinds of like you know I don't know, let's say like evangelical Christianity
3: yeah certainly um, for one worshipping on the Saturday Sabbath right Uh, that that was that emphasizes a distinctive mark not eating certain foods um so yeah those those were some of the identifying features along with uh ellen ellen g white right her writings so those were some of the the things that i grew up uh as distinctive marks of adventism apart from other christians now
0: when you were experiencing this call to ministry i mean what did that look like for you as an adventist like what did you think that you were going to be doing what did you um believe that God was calling you to do in going into ministry as a Seventh-day Adventist.
3: Yeah, I guess more about yeah, preaching, um, preaching uh preaching the Adventist message and um taking charge of a church. Uh but I I, I actually pursued um <clears throat> I pursued ministry, sorry, uh, more because I, I I I love the intellectual life, um reading and, and studying. So that was the way to pursue this um this interest further.
0: Yeah, so We've got, we've got that going on now, Arthur and Teresa, uh, this is a lot more, um, in your family and, and, and coming down, your education is coming from generations of, of Adventist experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Arthur for you and Norman, you hinted at some of the stuff, Sabbath worship diet. Like, what do you remember about dietary stuff and other kinds of rules that, that were, that probably made you like a little bit different than the other kids on your block?
2: A lot of bit different. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a lot of bit different. Um, <laughs> I think looking back, I think
2: it's, it's the checking every solitary label you, you look at in the store to make sure there's no lard in it is like the number one thing you look for. And, you know, I was raised right when the first veggie meat started to come out. So that would be another very significant thing that, uh, kind of, you know, all your friends would laugh at you like fake hamburger what in the world is fake hamburger, you know? And
0: uh, now it's like the hottest thing going, right? I mean, now you guys are so far ahead of the trip. There was Beyond Burger back then. Are you kidding me? (laughs) That's right. It was called TVP
2: back in the 70s where it was hard rock. Textured vegetable protein. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So for me, the dietary was huge. The fact that you couldn't go outside and play on Saturday – with no real particular explanation for it i mean they, well it's sabbath and it, it never was a, a like a real explanation and so for me that would re- some another thing that was very significant was that separation uh, the
0: sabbath separation from life you just it was just Well different. there are plenty of christians who are not seventh day adventists who get a lot of rules and no explanation <laughs> yeah. and there are a lot of people who right. Um, get a lot of rules and they're like, well, we'll, we'll put on a good face for the church people, but we're going to do our thing at home. Uh, Teresa, if I recall correctly, that was more of your approach, uh, where you would drink Dr. Pepper, but just not in front of fellow Adventists.
1: Oh yeah. You know how in this, in the spectrum of, uh, uh, Catholics, there's quite a spectrum, but when you talk about the liberal and, um, uh, conservative Adventists, there's not quite the spectrum because, you know, he wasn't allowed to have Dr. Pepper.
0: Right.
1: Absolutely. That was a no, no. Uh, but our family was wild and crazy. And we went out to eat on, (laughs) we went out to eat on Sabbath and, um, we, we ended up, well, occasionally we would eat meat. Right. And so, um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, we were we were very very wild. As a matter of fact, his his parents didn't particularly want me to him right. to marry I was, me. I was I was the so orthodox
2: wild. Adventist, which <laughs> which I grew up totally orthodox. She was the very I don't want to say wild, but it, it was definitely more evangelicalized. <laughs> you know? Sure, kind of like the people in California, right? <laughs> right. Yes, right.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about about that Norman and your own experience, like. Uh, and maybe you can explain, too, where some of this dietary stuff comes from because, you know, maybe people have met, uh, you know, Messianic Jews, uh, Christians who are sort of Messianic who keep, like, kosher laws. But where is it coming from for an Adventist, like this whole idea of the dietary question and, and really kind of the, the question of a real focus on health in general?
3: Yeah, so it comes from, well, uh, Leviticus 11, right? That's the one of the, the big um, verses or chap, Bible uh, chapters that's used. It lists all the sort of clean and unclean foods, uh, the uh, the story of Noah, uh, how Noah had to bring, I think, seven pairs of clean animals, and you know, uh, so that that those those passages in in scripture are used as as justification um, for that practice.
0: So a lot of this comes back to to Ellen G. White. So um, if you could, Norman, maybe explain a little bit about. Who this figure is and how she really started this this whole movement that you know again is not like Baptists, it's not like Presbyterians, it's not like Pentecostals.
3: Yeah, well, uh, from what I remember uh, is that uh, she was one of the followers of Willie Miller, right? Um, Willie Miller had predict had had read Daniel passages from Daniel, and um, you know he predicted the coming of Christ that didn't pan out. So Ellen White was one of his followers who. Um, claimed to have a vision or visions, right? Uh, to, that that helped to understand these prophetic timelines better, and um, you know, as her uh, this uh, prophetic ministry grew, she became a, one of the founders of this uh, Adventist movement.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought up the William Miller part of it because there are a whole bunch of movements that kind of come out from the Millerite uh, world and also from really that whole era in american history it's it's amazing how many religious movements uh in the united states spring up um you know mormonism is is from that world too and jehovah's witnesses and and many others
1: christian uh, science
0: christian science is very much in there and that's another one focused very much on on health um arthur teresa maybe you could like share a little bit of your own experience of of what kind of position uh and and I guess, authority was given to the to the thought and teaching of Ellen of G. White in your world?
1: Well, every single thing that we did was based, well, not everything, but I mean, a large majority of, of what we did was based on um, Ellen White. But in our family, we just didn't talk about that. In other words, it wasn't, we didn't know where it was from. We just thought it was from scripture or you just, what was right. Whereas, you mm-hmm. know, it was more directly from Arthur's Family, they they did a lot of just reading, didn't you guys every morning?
2: Right, right. Uh, they would have worship books that were designed by Adventist writers that would incorporate, you know, oh uh, Ellen G. White's writings into it. Um, for me, it was it's kind of like the scene from, uh, uh, you know, don't don't look at the man behind the curtain. Type of thing for me. So it's.
1: The Wizard of Oz?
2: Yeah, the Wizard of Oz. It, it's now, like, to be
0: fair, you weren't really allowed to watch movies growing up, so it's okay if that. If it's that what I heard on the, the street, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah.
3: Can't go
1: to the No, uh, theaters, you, yeah. you, you were allowed to watch him on TV. You just right. couldn't go to the theater.
0: Not in the theater. That's right. Yeah, I <laughs> forgot about that. Actually, that was the case for a lot of Protestants in that era. Yeah. yeah. Not just. And so, this.
2: right. It's, it, everything was infused with Ellen White. Everything. And so even if it wasn't, even reading Bible passages was always kind of bounced off of Ellen White. It, it couldn't stay, just stand on its own. They would always bring Ellen White into it and say, well, this is the way Sister White would see it. Yeah. And everything had to be skewed and, and glanced off of Ellen White, which as a kid, it was confusing to me. I, I didn't really understand if the Bible was that important, and you're talking about the hand of God writing the Bible, therefore, what are we talking about this Mrs. White thing? I, I didn't understand, at when, I, especially when I was young, at first, what the whole thing was. But yeah, everything came, came up from Ellen White.
0: Well, I was going to save this question to the end, but I'm just going to ask it now. Uh, so there are Protestants who... Uh, a great many of them are sola scriptura adherents, uh, right? They at, at least profess to believe. Now, in practice, in my world, in Protestantism, this you know—this is what we said, but we functioned kind of like under tradition and magisterium. But we said that we held the Bible alone as our sole rule of faith. We rejected the idea of tradition. We rejected the idea of a teaching authority that could tell us what the Bible meant. Um, you know, Norman, for you as an Adventist, like, you had a magisterium, didn't you? I mean, Ellen White essentially functioned as your magisterium, correct?
3: Yeah, uh, essentially. Uh, I mean, it, uh, they're always very careful to, you know, uh, emphasize sola scriptura. But if if you had an interpretation that differed from Ellen White, if you saw things different from Ellen White, you had to fix your interpretation. Uh, there was no question of, you know, uh, finding mistakes in her or, or acknowledging anything, any mistake uh, that she might have made. So, um, it, it, in fact, probably the Adventists are stricter about uh, adhering to Ellen White than maybe we are with uh, some of how do I say some of the Pope's you know, sayings and, and, and writings. So, it's
2: oh hard. yeah,
0: by far. Now, was there a you, just to kind of put this in context? Since you mentioned the Pope, was there like a successor to Ellen White, right? Or was it just Ellen White?
3: Ellen White, just, just Ellen White. White. Yeah. Ellen White,
0: yeah. yeah. Which leads to a very interesting situation that I will save to the end. And that is, you know, how much of Adventism rests on the credibility of, of one person, uh, which is a very precarious thing. Um, you know, Mormons are in a similar, similar situation. The Millerites were, by the way. And when Miller's credibility fell through, the whole Millerite thing fell through. But, um, I want to talk a little bit about something that a lot of those movements that all sprung up in that era have in common. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, and and a bunch of others, a lot of utopian, like, restorationist movements, and that is this idea of a great apostasy. Um, what was your impression about, like, what happened to the church after the death of the last apostle? Uh, I'll start with you, Teresa.
1: Adventists believe that the church immediately went off the rails. They do not believe, uh, when I was young, I don't know about you, Norman, maybe in a seminary it was different when you were there, but um, when we grew up, uh, the Adventists absolutely rejected all the church fathers. They did not yeah. accept the church fathers as legitimate. They accepted them as Catholic forgeries. And so uh, they they were immediately, you know, after the, the apostles, we went off the rails.
0: Was that pretty much your understanding then, Norman?
3: Yeah. So um, uh, I think uh, Const- Constantine was the one who, right, who said to sort of ruin it all and, he was the one who implemented the Sunday law, uh, you know, Sunday worship, and uh, all of these uh, deviations from the original faith. Um, but yeah, uh, that's pretty much um, you know, the experience. We did, we did learn about the early church fathers in in seminary, but they were kind of just a historical curiosity. Um, the professor never kind of made the connection between, you know, why we had to study them and what their connection was with us, let's say, as Seventh-day Adventists. So.
0: When you read in 150 AD, around 150 AD, which is, you know, nearly 200 years before Constantine, uh, and the Council of Nicaea, you read Justin Martyr saying that Christians are worshiping on Sunday, uh, because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And, um, you know, he connects it even with like the creation. Uh, when you read that and you find a source like that, that's that early. So Justin would have been alive during the lifetimes of the people who were taught by the apostles. And Justin is saying, this is what we have received as though this is coming from something authority. Like what would you have done with that? Like what would you have said about what Justin Martyr's deal was? Um,
1: I can tell you when I wrote the book, it's, it's, um it's okay not to be seventh Adventist. I actually wrote to uh, a lot of uh, Adventist um pastors at the high level i even wrote randy roberts um, who's the pastor of loma linda church and i said so what is what is the thinking of of the church and um the, because the church ellen white wrote that these were uh these were apostate writings in other words they were falsified but I uh, Randy Roberts did say that they're now becoming more and more acceptable. So I know that there's been a gradual change in that uh, Adventist acceptance of those. So the fact that you even brought them up, they brought them up in your seminary training. They did not bring them up in seminary training, you know, when we were young. Uh, they were just considered absolute uh, apocryphal writings.
0: Right. Yeah, Norman, yeah, you I'm, were
3: saying? Yeah, I mean... Uh, most likely, the justification would be, "Oh, it's not in the Bible, so you know you can just kind of dismiss it."
0: All right. So before we move on, uh, do you have any questions for each other?
3: I did remember watching your testimony. You know, when when I was kind of learned, curious about the Catholic faith, and uh, I remember the abortion question was a big one, right? Like, yes. why was that a why was that sort of a a big issue for you at the time? That kind of propelled you to look to Catholicism.
0: Yeah, and if you could clarify what uh, Adventists believe about abortion.
1: Well, I mean, you should know, you went to La Sierra, Norman, and La Sierra is dedicated, they have a building dedicated to um, the foremost abortionist in the world who's a Seventh-day Adventist, at least he he, he doesn't anymore, but um, what's his name, Alred, Alred, Dr. Alred. And so uh, he, I... I thought that our church was pro-life. And then I, in high school and then in college, I started hearing about, um, young girls getting abortions, Adventist girls getting abortions. And then, uh, one of our, uh, OBGYNs, uh, offered a free abortion to one of my friends because she was okay. un- un- unwed. And that started me thinking, okay, what is going on here? Avanis okay. or? And then I found out they, they were not just a little bit involved. They were, they f- filed amicus, uh, curate Brief. briefs with the, uh, U.S. Supreme Court over these things. I mean, it's one of the foremost, um, uh, areas where they pushed abortion was in Hawaii and it was the Adventist yeah. church there and uh, the Adventist hospital there. Yeah. And, um, so, I mean, the, the church has been very, very involved in, and I was horrified. I could not believe that this church that claimed to be the remnant that kept the uh, the, the Ten Commandments—that's their big—that's their big, big spiel—is that they keep the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. and uh, then they looked askance at abortion, the murder of unborn children, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find an Adventist. I just freaked out and started asking around. I couldn't find an Adventist that was pro life including in my own family <laughs> yeah. because they were so scared of the Sunday law they said if you get politically involved uh, in any yeah. way short shape or form see Norman sure. knows what I'm talking about look at his expression <laughs> if you this get is why involved, I want you to
0: ask questions of each other because you guys yeah. have got some, some some shared experience here
1: oh absolutely all yeah. you, you can almost tell who's an Adventist and if you're walking in the mall <laughs> it's like there must that's an Adventist. but um the the Adventist Church Ha, has been very pro-choice until just lately. And, um, that just horrified me. And the more I got closer and, and more and more involved, we, we started the very first, my husband, and I started the very first, um, Adventist pro-life movement called Adventist for Life. And I was the president and founder. And, um, it, you, you cannot believe the, how, Deep, the fear of us as Seventh-day Adventists getting involved in politics, mm-hmm. because they said the minute we try to step out and say uh, mm-hmm. abortion is wrong, that's going to open up the door for Sunday religious law. persecution of Adventists. Yes,
3: yes.
2: Which which is the Sunday law. Yeah. That's the big yeah. boogeyman in the room, the, yeah. the thousand-pound gorilla in the room is the yeah.
0: Sunday law. Yeah. Well, help us understand this, um, because... Some people are like, "What are you, what are you talking about?" Like, the government's always going to be, you know, at odds with the church, and you know, Christianity and the state are always going to be in tense terms or whatever. It's a different level for Adventists. I wonder if you could explain that, Norman, like the fear that might be going along with Adventists and like that. W- what kind of fear of reprisal is built into that that worldview and that theology?
3: Yeah, I guess um, it stems from a particular reading of, say, what Catholics have done in the past, right, with uh, the, the Inquisition and all that, but. Uh yeah there is this very real fear that uh you know one day and this is also based on a reading of revelation that the beast the two beasts will cooperate but you know one day the pope will influence you know the the government of the United States to enact Sunday law and, and this will be world, worldwide and you know, this will bring about the persecution of Adventists in particular um you know for for worshiping on on the true Sabbath.
0: Yeah. Yeah it's it's you know kind of hard for for people to imagine that that's the, that's the battlefront. You know, a lot of uh, yeah. Christians are, you know, rightly, I think, worried about religious liberty questions, but I don't think any of them are going to be like, mm-hmm. well, the church, the state is going to decide what day we're allowed to go to church, right? And yeah. That's not a fear yeah. that a Baptist has.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, what's interesting is um, when you ask an Adventist, say, or, or just inform an Adventist, you do realize we go to mass every Saturday.
3: Yes, yes.
2: So what's the problem? Yeah. You find out what the real, where the rubber meets yeah. the road is, Yeah, being South the Adventist on their books, yeah. that's, that's what it is. It's not going to church on Saturday, yeah. really, when it comes down to it. But they don't know well, how to answer that one because they've always been told we're just these apostate Sunday worshipers, you know.
3: Yeah, yeah. They don't. Yeah. They don't know that we do worship on Saturday too, and every That's day right. actually, right? And every
0: day, yeah, yeah. All all the days. But I want to yep. get to something else too because um, it's also tricky for people to leave the Seventh Day Adventist world because uh, Arthur, when you say on the books, you're not talking about in like some abstract way, right?
2: No physical books of Adventist books um, in her, in, in Teresa's book, it's okay not to be a seventh day Adventist. There's a part in there. Um, I used to work with a guy who his son was in Vietnam and took great pride because he would he would plant booby traps and he got so good at it that they would bet to see which direction they could blow the guy. I'm going to mm-hmm. blow him Northeast a hundred feet or whatever. Well, Basically, you felt coming out of Adventism, I felt that way. Every exit is mined in some Mm -hmm. sort of way of fear. It's mined with some sort of fear, Uh, a fear of you're going to be deceived. It's just all a deception. And so it's it's a lot of fear base.
1: Well, Ellen White makes a uh, prophecy that in the last days, right before the Lord comes, there's going to be a great apostasy in the Adventist church. And great lights are going to fall. And not only that, but, uh, the, the people that leave Adventism are going to be the spearheads mm-hmm. of those that persecute, um, Adventists in the last days. And now so,
2: qualify persecute.
1: Well, we're going to lead it. Yeah, right. Kill. <laughs> right.
2: We're talking yeah. physically killed them.
1: And so yeah. according to Ellen White, see, all they have to do is say, see, according to Ellen White, you guys did exactly what she said. Right. See, we, we fell to exactly, we've proven Ellen White to be true because we leave Adventism. And so they use this against us. Um mm. And so it's very, very difficult because especially becoming Catholic, right. you know, uh, because that was her prediction. And so I keep telling um, my Adventist friends and family, don't worry, I've got my eye on that Sunday law. I will tell you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if the Pope or somebody, because I love you guys and I'm not going to let it, us persecute you.
0: <laughs> uh, Norm, do you have anything to add to that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, in sermons, a lot of sermons, especially when uh, sermons pertaining to the the, four, uh, the Sabbath commandment, they'd always take these quotes from the Pope or some or an encyclical or some some Catholic writing out of context, you know, to kind of uh, hint that you see, look, this is what they're planning all along, and uh, this is what they're trying to usher in. So um, the the fear is reinforced uh, quite regularly, I'd say.
0: All right. Well, Great. we've said enough things about, like, all the, 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 the baggage that you bring, you know, with you, but let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the fact that you're all still Christians who have christ at the center of your life so obviously something that happened there was formative and 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 made you want to pursue where christ was leading you no matter where that that was arthur i wonder if you could maybe speak to that kind of formation that you got and and how it really formed you to take the words of christ and and i mean the sabbath is just one example the commands of god seriously well yeah. That's actually a miracle in and
2: of itself. The whole, whole process for me was a miracle was the thought of, of, uh, of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. Right. Mm-hmm. Meant, meant a lot to me. I didn't understand it. it never was particularly under uh, explained. Um, but it meant a lot. Uh, authority meant a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adventists take a lot of authority. Well, all their authority from Ellen White. So for me, um, the, th- there are things that Adventists do that are strangely like Catholicism. <laughs> you have the Pope, you have Ellen White, you have the Magisterium, you've got the General Conference and, and the Union and all of that, that everything kind of filters down. To the masses, <laughs> so to speak, uh, uh, and so for me, when I found or even started to think about Catholicism and and being informed from actually good Catholic uh, sources, it made me look at where I came from and said, "Oh, they just, they basically are just taking from Catholicism and plugging in their own people to the structure." of Catholicism. Um, so for me that the, the, uh, the um, not piousness, but the devouted, the devoutness, that's the best way to put it. Very devout um, and generally kind, uh, you know, very kind group of people, you know, um, that to me meant a lot, but it, 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 the th- the authority status really is what got to me. So once I hit and even saw any truth about Catholicism, I was like, wait a second. They've been around longer than 150, 200 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: How, I wonder how long they've been around. And then the ball started rolling there for me. Yeah. How about you, Teresa? Deep in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well. From the time you are uh, in what they call cradle roll, you're a toddler Mm -hmm. and you go to Sabbath school and you hear that one day you're going to have to give your life for the truth. And even though it is Sabbath for them, Mm -hmm. you you do have, they instill such a love that you are prepared to go to martyrdom for your beliefs. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you associate that with Christ, and, and instead of, if, if you at all incorporate it into Christ himself, then that teaches you wherever truth is, I'm following it, mm-hmm. and I'm going to die for it. A, and I really do believe that yeah. is one of the reasons Adventists probably will make the best Catholics. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Well, there's a bias in this room on that question, so uh, I don't want to dwell on it too long. Uh, but- <laughs> But Norman, did you have anything to add from your own experience about some of the things that formed you as a Seventh Day Adventist that that really you you see as gifts and like really have have made an impact on the way that you you understand yourself as a Catholic today?
3: Sure. Yeah, taking the Bible very seriously, right? Um, Adventists uh, pride themselves in sort of in being very careful about interpreting Scripture, uh, devoting a lot of time, and even uh, studying the original language of Scripture. So. I'd say uh, taking scripture seriously helped me to, you know, uh, that that was a formative part of of, of you know being a, a Christian or you know that that, that there's c- continuity there between my Adventism and Catholicism.
0: You know, the stakes are a little bit different for you because you were in ministry, like formal mm-hmm. formal ministry. I know that's uh, when Ken Hensley and you connected. Was you know you were at a fairly wild mm-hmm. point <laughs> in your in your journey. Um, you're in a different situation than Arthur and Teresa. And I want to talk about their situation in a minute because it brings up an interesting nuance, but you went straight from Adventism to Catholicism, right? Yes, um, yeah. so what, as you were making that transition, how are you, what, what were the gaps in Adventism that you saw fulfilled in Catholicism? Like what, what was the point that you reached in Adventism and you were like, this is not enough. I need something more. And what were the ways that Catholicism filled in those blanks?
3: Yeah, for sure. One was, um, you know, why go to why do, why do I have to be present physically present in church? Um, and this was a question that the younger generation were asking me because you know they they could just watch uh, service online, and studying that made me realize well for the early church, uh, it was receiving our Lord in you know in the Eucharist, and the Eucharist was the center of the, the of worship, not the sermon. So you know that 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 was one uh, I'd say gap, um, and the other uh, the sort of the harmony of faith and reason so when I was in school a big debate uh, a big debate among Adventists is uh, you know evolution and, and and the role of science uh, you know how, uh, how you know how to make sense of science in Genesis 1 the literal reading of Genesis 1 and I found that Catholicism you don't have that dichotomy necessarily because there's this harmony between faith and reason you know God cannot con- truth cannot contradict truth so those were I'd say two big factors in helping me see Catholicism as a more complete understanding of christianity
0: well and certainly uh, you know more rooted historically as yes. <laughs> you yes. know you yes. you've mentioned as well but while we're, while we're on this uh very briefly what if any is an adventist view of communion of the, of the lord's supper
3: well it, it's a symbol right uh just uh, the the bread represents a, it's a symbol of christ uh, of jesus but not jesus himself uh, the, the catholics are wrong there
0: <laughs> as a minister uh, did you ever uh towards the end as you were starting to realize what the church taught about the Eucharist and then you were presiding over just a symbol uh, for your people. Like did that, like what was going through your mind as you were starting to realize what was happening on the altar at every Catholic church and then looking at what you were doing in your own congregation.
3: Yeah, definitely dissonance. And I felt like, wow, well I'm missing out and they're missing out on, on so much because, um, yeah, I was starting to attend mass too, kind of, you know, quietly with my wife and, um, I had the longing to receive our Lord already, um, so yeah, definitely felt kind of it was like an imitation, you know. It's, it's, it's like the veggie meat. It's like the veggie meat of uh, communion, so to speak.
0: That's actually a really good analogy <laughs> for for an for an Adventist. Did you have any thoughts on communion, Arthur and Teresa, before I ask you about a very unique situation uh, regarding yours, your 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 transition to the Catholic Church, like what your thoughts were, maybe about communion as an Adventist?
1: Well, I mean, it is, how do you even understand it? I mean, even now, when I walk up to receive communion, it's just mind blowing. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when you, uh, watch a lot of, uh, Scott Hahn's, um, videos. I mean, it, I, to this day, I still can't believe it. And I do believe it, but I'm just saying it, mm-hmm. it's such, it's a mystery beyond what we can fathom. And so I, I'm still on that in, in amazing awe over it. It's probably the best.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, um the Eucharist, it blows me away every time, each and every time mm-hmm. and, and without fail. Um Growing up, we, you would, they would have communion mm-hmm.
0: once a quarter,
2: yeah. maybe. Yeah. You know, and it was yeah. grape juice and some little something. And <laughs> now were and, you guys
0: the one who invented Welch's? Was that you all or no?
2: I think so. Yeah. I believe.
1: But I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we invented it, but I think uh, definitely we used definitely
0: been at cornflakes. I, I'm solid yes. on that one. Yes,
2: <laughs> yeah. But but as far as that, they it, it looked like they were being they were kind of oh they were very solemn, but I could never figure out why, and nobody nobody ever talked about it. Yeah, they're like oh we're having communion, kind of in a whispered tone. And I'm like, well, so what are you whispering about? What's the secret? Yeah. What is this? And I wasn't upset. I was really really wanting to know. Yeah. you know, and never really got a, yeah. any kind of an answer out of it. So Eucharist to me is mind blowing.
0: That's, that's really common in a lot of Protestant denominations. Like it's, why are we so serious about this? If it's only a, and then go right. back to Justin Martyr, like you read Justin Martyr in 150 AD and they're like, so we bless this. And just as like, you know, Christ became flesh, this becomes his flesh. And then we go and take, uh, you know, portions to people right. who could not be present. And I'm thinking like, if it's just like oyster crackers and Welch's grapes, why, are we, right why does it matter? Like, why would we go to like the nursing home and make sure every single person who's able can, can have, like, if it's just a symbol, then what, what, that's a lot of mileage yeah. going from nursing home to nursing home and homebound stuff. Like, what's the point? Yeah. At a certain point, you kind of have to say to yourself, like, am I missing something here? Like, yes, is there more? Well,
1: on the same day that they do communion, they do foot washing and all the men would go, um, to one room and all the other women. And my family hated the foot washing mo- moment. So when I didn't grow up going to the communion services because my family, I mean, I'm sorry, my parents, not, not us, but I mean, my parents didn't like that. So I, it was one of those weeks we avoided going to church <laughs> because it's not an obligation and Adventism. Yeah. If you miss church, yeah. it's, it's not a big deal. You can just, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. No, I don't know any congregation that calls it a mortal sin like Catholicism does. Yeah. <laughs> to miss yeah. Church. Uh, so the thing I wanted to ask you, Arthur and Teresa, is that you left Adventism, but you didn't go immediately into RCIA. You, you, right. you shopped around a little bit. Um, having been formed in Adventism, like, how quickly did you realize the deficiencies of like Protestantism in general, once you went from Adventism to kind of like general Christianity.
1: Uh, you know, my reason for for going at first, I just wasn't looking. We, we had an eight year period from the time we put our um, uh, resignation letter on the, the desk of our pastor to when we became Catholic. And for me, I just wanted to, we, I had been so afraid of other Christians. They were, they were the apostate uh, Protestantism. And I didn't even think about Catholicism yet. I just wanted to go meet all these people I was going to get to know in heaven. I, I went and saw every single, and I wasn't really looking for a place to land. I had no intention of ever joining another church. I was just like, no, I'm going to love every single, I'm going to go to Lutherans. And I did for for eight years. We looked around and then it was actually my sister who is a, a reformed Calvinist um, or reformed um, reformed, I guess is the name of it. And um, she said, no, you can't do that. That's not a good example to your children. You've got to, uh, you've got to find some place to stay. And that was when I became serious. And um, we had been to every other, we had studied all the theology of all of them, just, just to get to know it. I mean, not so we had to even make a decision. And, um, we finally just said, okay, well, if we're going to actually settle, we have to check everyone out. But because she was right, I thought she was probably right, and so that's when we looked at the last few little well, you know, orthodox. The last Catholics one
2: was Catholic on and, our list, and, of, and we we didn't want to do it. No, we we were no, we really, Lord, we don't want to do that. But we're like, okay, if we're going to fulfill our part, we have we have to do this.
1: We have to check them all out. And uh, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, within weeks of being in uh talking to uh, uh people online and and uh, and going to RCI, we knew it was right. Every single thing in the Bible. I mean, you read the Bible as as an Adventist, but you don't understand it. And then all of a sudden, you start talking to Catholic, and it all fits perfectly history
2: together. History fits for once. And you don't have
0: to try to make history fit.
1: It all it all fits, and so. It didn't take us very long to realize Catholicism was correct.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, a lot of Christian traditions have really strong basis in the scriptures for a lot of things that they believe, but there's also all these kind of like weird spots in the Bible that you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's probably not important, you know? <laughs> yeah, They're, they just kind of move on past it. But you know, going back to Justin Martyr, we've we've started a series with um with with Ken Hensley and Kenny Burchard on the Mass, and we've gone back through this passage from from Justin Martyr, and there's this piece in, in, well, quite literally, in the Mass where Justin Martyr is saying that, you know, before everybody receives, right, before the final Thanksgiving, like, everybody offers each other the kiss of peace. And that so directly connects with what you see in Matthew 5 when Jesus says, you know, if you have anything against your brother— you know, leave your gift in the altar at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother and then return. Right. right? And there's like, that's like built into the mass. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and it, there are all kinds of things like that throughout the course of, of the scriptures that, that for me, um, I just didn't have a place for as, you know, a Wesleyan Methodist Nazarene free Methodist guy. And, and I imagine, you know, if you're viewing through the, through the lens of just, just and G. White, that's, that's the case for you, um, as well. But, Norman for you and I'll ask this if you uh, in a moment too Arthur and Teresa like what was one thing that was water in the desert for you when you discovered it about Catholicism we already talked about the Eucharist right and we could talk about that probably for the whole rest of the time but like what's one thing that when you discovered it in Catholicism you were like that's what I've been missing that's what I've been looking for
3: I'd say the connection between the life of the mind and the life of and the spiritual life, uh, just the the rootedness of Catholic like Catholicism fulfills sort of our deepest intellectual longings, our deepest spiritual longings, and you don't have to you don't have to divorce the two. So um, when I you know just encountering all these uh, the early Church Fathers, Saint Thomas Aquinas, you know for me, yeah, that was that was my water in the desert really
0: yeah well you also if i recall correctly found some of my buddies flannery o'connor and J. R. R. tolkien and some others is there a seventh-day adventist literary tradition or was that like a seventh-day adventist imagination or was that something you found like in catholicism that wasn't really a part of where you were coming from
3: yeah no there's not i mean there's nothing there's no real distinct adventist literary tradition outside of ellen white um so yeah to to encounter this you know this long tradition of 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 art of, of philosophical and theological and literary engagement that, that was that was uh, beautiful
0: yeah how about you arthur
2: you know i have to agree with you mine would have been c.s lewis and uh uh tolkien and um chesterton uh, what's that
3: chesterton, was chesterton.
2: thank you yeah you knew it
0: well we uh, had to we have to we have to do a checklist every there's we have to mention Chesterton once per episode, so uh. yes, yes, there you go. <laughs> we got that. We're done here. And
2: and so for me, it came down to authority. It, it just came down to authority because when that when that hit me, it hit me like the millstone, proverbial millstone. Because it, then I look back at what Christ was saying and saying that makes sense now. Mm-hmm. He's teaching his apostles. That makes sense now. He looked at Peter and said, Peter, you're the rock. That makes sense now.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's just it's just all the dominoes just ripped. Like mm-hmm. you see online those million dominoes fall. That's, that's what happened with me. And so when I started to read Mere Christianity and, and all these other things, it's like, wow, that, that, was, that was the water in the
0: desert for me. How about you, uh, Teresa?
1: Uh, you may want to edit this part out because I'm going to be really honest.
0: That's Okay. Um, uh, take a deep breath, make sure you got well, your hair. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I was tired of everybody in the world telling me I was wrong. Cause I loved being a woman. I mm. loved babies. I wanted to save babies. I wanted to have lots and lots of babies. And I had been raised by in a bunch of second wife feminists, um, A world that hated motherhood and hated everything about the differences between men and women, and we're pushing equality and pushing equality. And I hated all of that. And the truth is, Catholicism aligned with what I wanted to be so badly as a woman. It told me it was okay to believe that abortion is wrong, because everybody in the in the Adventist Church had said, "You're crazy. You're a Mm -hmm. nut." You are obsessed, and I wanted to have eight children more than anything. And all my Aventis family uh, on both sides, um, except for my mother, because <laughs> she had six, uh, told me, "I'm uh, stop it. You're you you are uh, you're being you're bad. Irresponsible. You're irresponsible. You're right. irresponsible, and you're bad." And Catholicism taught me that every instinct of a w- wo- as as a woman that I had was what God had intended, and it made me finally have that moment of uh God accepts me for who I am, He created me that way, so that's my answer
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's very interesting and um well we we do have equality among men and women in the in the Catholic Church right, but it's on a completely different basis than like what what the external reality of his well, you know, everybody should be able to play with the same size basketball hoop or something. It's like right. this, like, really intrinsic, like, really anthropologically centered, it's like really Christological and incarnational in a way that, that just it's it's massive, right? <laughs> the yeah. Theology of the Body does not exist in other worlds of, of Christian thought, like it exists right. inside the, the Catholic Church. But this brings up a question I did not intend to ask about, but I'm going to ask about anyway. Um, and that involves Our Lady because it's one thing for you to be founded by John Calvin or Martin Luther or, uh, you know, one of these men, right? Y'all were founded by a woman. <laughs> so right, I wonder how your barriers or openness to the idea of, um, of Mary's role in the Catholic Church, like, what was that like for you? Uh, was that an obstacle? Was it, was it less of a problem, Norman, uh, when you were thinking through what the church teaches about Mary?
3: Um, well, for one, when I when I found out that uh, we don't worship her, that Catholics don't worship her, that was one big obstacle cleared. And you know, understanding that the Hail Mary is a prayer that comes from the Bible; these are God's own word. God, this is God addressing Blessed Mother Himself. So that was a big obstacle removed. And yeah, for some reason, I gravitated towards the Rosary. Uh, I start praying the Rosary, you know, every day before conversion. Um, and I think that's also partly from my Muslim grandfather who would pray his version of the, the bead. So, um, yeah, the, I, I, I say that this one is a grace. I can't say it's sort of anything on my end. This is, I think, just a, a gift from God that uh, I uh, gravitated towards this uh, this devotion.
0: How about you, Arthur, on the Mary question? That was a
2: tough one for me because I wouldn't say I was a misogynist, but... I definitely. Nobody
0: would, Arthur, to be fair. And that's exactly what a misogynist would say. (laughs) That's
2: (laughs) right. That's hilarious. Yes. That's right. So for me, it was a big deal. And the funny, this is the funny thing. The first time we went to EWTN, the little lady behind the counter, Comes up and she, she, we're looking for anything. We're just like buying everything. We're just having such a wonderful time. (laughs) And she brings up this brown scapular. I had no idea what a brown scapular was. She goes, "Oh, here, you really want to do this?" I was like, "What is it? It's a brown scapular." And she goes, "Here, follow the instructions." I was like, "Okay, all right, fine." You know. So I followed the instructions. I didn't even know what I was doing, but I mean, it was definitely planned. God planned this for me. Because he knew how i how I felt about the whole Ellen white thing, and it was difficult even though but but because of the authority that I had come into the church with, I respected my devotion to you know the whole process you do for the brown scapular i I stuck with it, and it's it's an absolute blessing absolute blessing but it was it was tough it it was not easy because of the Ellen White issue. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it was easier than it would have been because as a Seventh day Adventist, you knew how to follow instructions. That's right. <laughs> so there <laughs> yes. you go.
2: I did. I know that is good. That's good. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's, that's the other thing that, you know, I marvel at is that, you know, a Baptist or a Methodist or an Episcopalian will become Catholic and then, like, come on, we, do we really have to, like, do this fasting on Fridays and Ash Wednesday right. and like, yeah. all this other right. stuff? And Seventh day Adventists are usually like, cool, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not a, not a big deal. Um, last thoughts on Mary from you, Teresa, before I get kind of to the the last thing I want to ask.
1: Uh, Mary was a pretty difficult problem for me. I I had resentment towards Ellen White, a lot of resentment towards Ellen White for messing up and uh, creating a bunch of wimpy Adventist men. Um, and so I was super okay with patriarchy <laughs> in, the, in the Catholic Church. And... Um, Then I realized that uh, every miracle that happened in my pro-life movement was Mary. I'm going to cry. It was Mary right there with me. So how can you not love her?
0: You know, it's interesting, too, because you're talking about uh, various waves of feminism, and I don't even know which wave we're on right now, but um, a lot of it has to do with... Uh, you know, questions about what a human being is and and what are we made for? And if we don't accept what we're made for, can we just be made into something else? And, and these yeah. questions. And and Mary is this one thing that like, uh, she's both virgin and mother. Mm-hmm. And those are the two things that are like kind of the worst thing you can be, depending on which way of <laughs> feminism you're referring to, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so there's that. But uh, again, it, there are people who don't understand this from the outside and they think that we're like just a bunch of rule following people who never have any fun and don't realize that this is like life giving. (laughs) It's like, it's, it's the fully, you feel more human than you've ever felt. You're like, finally, I'm, I can, I can be a human being and not feel like I have to like, just respond to whatever, like everybody's like ticked off about right now. Um, or reinvent myself. Um, we've talked about this in some of the other episodes, like, you know, try and reinvent the, you know, the whole gospel just to like appeal to like one generation of people, right? It's no, it's like this thing that this this stream that's deep and wide and and it's relevant to everybody in every age. Um yeah. but that being said, we have a few Seventh day Adventists who do watch our shows. Or I don't know if they watch them, they certainly comment on our videos. And they probably watched this far and said, mm-hmm. Come on, I still do not buy it. You guys were never really Seventh-day Adventists to begin with. You guys are exactly what Ellen White prophesied would happen. You're probably going to, like, you know, track our IP addresses and come get us in the middle of the night, throw us in a sack, and who knows where you're going to take us, maybe to the Vatican. I'm not sure. Uh, What would you say to someone who is that, uh, I would say, you know, honorably loyal, right, to their convictions in some ways, right? That's an honorable thing to be loyal to your convictions. But just to say... Just give them something to maybe think about or chew on. Uh, Norman, what would, what would be one thing you'd ask them to consider?
3: Uh, who is Jesus? You know, like, is is he, is he truly the Lord of the Sabbath, right? Is he the fulfillment of the Sabbath? Is he the one who fulfilled the temple institution, right? Or is he just someone who's subject to these uh, institutions and laws, right? Is he the fulfillment or the one who's subject to them? And um, I, I think if we read the New Testament... Uh, it's clear throughout that Jesus is the Lord and the uh, very fulfillment of you know, the Sabbath, the Temple, so yeah, that's one, 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 um sort of uh, idea maybe I'd have them consider and reflect on. How about you, Teresa?
1: Well, I uh... I'm going to be flippant because I'm going to say I promise you Adventists, I will tell you if I see anything about your your uh, impending doom, and I mean that very honestly. I I love my Adventist family and my friends, and I'm not going to throw them to. I'm not going to throw them under the bus. But um, you know Arthur and I make YouTube videos explaining the story of the Sabbath, um, and I urge them to watch that. And um, I don't. I just don't know what to say to Adventists because they see everything as a deception and um, just to let them know we love them. That's really hard for them to accept. The Catholics, we love you. And that's what I would say.
0: How about you, Arthur?
2: Well, I would say what she just said, but I would add to it this, is that at least when you, if you're going to, to be smirched, let me put it that way, Catholicism, At least do it the justice like the Bible says to do and not slander us. At least when you go to research Catholicism, you come to Catholicism through research. You don't go to Jack Chick or somebody like that to research Catholicism. And that's what they do. And so they're this endless circuitous cycle of, well, this pastor in Adventism wrote something against us. Then he refers to the one before him and he, it's just everything's a circle within themselves and they will not go to history. And if they do go to history, then they only bounce it off of the circle again and they won't come. It's like, at least do us the justice of looking in history honestly through Catholic sources and, uh, and, and give it a, give it a, a an honest research. Don't, don't just accept what is cursory said in some uh, Daniel Revelation seminar.
0: Yeah. We're constantly or, slendered. Or, or or cursorily said uh, in some context, right, that can be lifted from some text yeah. from some pope uh, at some point. Yeah, I mean, that's imagine all the time, yeah. Imagine if someone were to say, you cannot trust Jesus. He said to hate your mother and father or you can't follow him. right. And somebody would be like, well, no, but you have to understand the context and what he's saying, and, and it's in the body of Christ's entire teaching. I'm like, I'm not interested in the body of his teaching. He said this. That's enough for me to know what he's like. Right. right? right. You can't do that to Jesus, right? Don't do that to the church. Right. <laughs> Don't right, do it to the right, church. Right, right. Um, so I would just say to anybody who's watching this far, if you were a Seventh-day Adventist, um, chances are you're probably at least a little bit open and curious and asking some of these same kind of questions. And and I would very much encourage you to go watch uh, Arthur and Teresa's episodes of the Journey Home. I'll link them in the in the comments here. Um, will uh, when uh, Norman's episode airs here in a couple months. I'll try and make sure that he's linked down there as as well. Uh, we've got a written story from Arthur and Teresa uh, where they kind of go through this. It's called "From Prophetess to Pope." It's linked at Coming Home Network's website. Also, um, in the meantime, I wish we had a lot more time to address this because Seventh-day Adventism is just such a complicated animal Uh, but thank you so much I really appreciate you both Norman Ben Yazid, Arthur and Teresa Beam, Uh, we really appreciate you you and talk to you again hopefully uh, down down the road because I'm sure you've generated some questions All right, and thank you for joining us on this episode of Coming Home Network Presents I'm Matt Swaim and we'll talk to you again next time around